2: The voice in my head that drives my heel.
1: With your hosts, Clayton Caldwell. My
2: baby Collins, and I need you here.
1: And John Harlow. And
2: half
0: shifting Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow here tonight. We've got a great show. We're just 10 days away from the Daytona 500 Speed Weeks 2018, at least the stock car portion of it. Is here and we're excited. We got Gus Steen joining us from the ARCA series at nine fifteen, and Stephen Light, the former NASCAR Cup Series Rookie of the Year, he will join us a little later on in the show as well. He, he's uh, with a newly formed Xfinity Series team named JP Motorsports. We'll discuss his new ride and his plans for twenty eighteen. Also, uh, some news: Corey Lajoy, he's in a new ride this this uh, year, driving for TriStar Motorsports. Todd Parrott joins Premium Motorsports. Some series, some news. of the Xfinity and Trucks this afternoon, and we'll preview the Advanced Auto Parts Clash and the Daytona 500 qualifying this weekend. We'll take your calls 917 889 8280 here, talking in circles. Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow here with you tonight. Uh, Great show, excited. Speed Weeks 2018 is here. We talked all year about uh, potential, what what everybody's going to do, potentially what everybody's going to do, and here we are. It's now time to, um, you know, the the chips will fall where they may here for these race teams that the cars have officially been loaded in the haulers and they're on their way to daytona international speedway to kick off the 2018 season i'm excited john uh some news here this week we'll dive into the cup series news corey lajoy uh son of randy lajoy two-time uh bush series champion has a new ride for 2018 last year drove for bk racing that team their status to say the least is up in the air uh for 2018 he will now drive for TriStar Motorsports in 26 races. He'll split the ride with Cole Witt, who will run in 10. What are your thoughts on uh, TriStar Motorsports, their their announcement this week, um, and Corey LaJoy's new ride here for 2018?
1: Well, I it was, it's nice to see TriStar Motorsports back again for another year. I mean, they worked hard, made the show. I mean, they got themselves a charter last year, but they uh, competed most of the year. And they did as good as they could, as fresh and new equipment as, as new equipment for the Cup Series. Um, I think it's a good move for Corey LeJoy because I mean, you're not. If I'm ha- hooking myself up to BK Racing, you might as well be hooking yourself up to a dumpster fire because that's what's going to happen. I mean, their charters are sitting in court where a bank is trying to get their hands on them because Ron Devine's eight million bucks in the hole too. This can't be nothing but a win for Corey LaJoy. And one of the things both you and I talked about throughout the season last year, Corey LaJoy did nothing but good for himself all season long because he was driving crap equipment all season When he had a chance, he made the most of it, and he kept himself out of trouble. It wasn't like you were hearing about Corey LaJoy being the dart without the feathers and just crashing every week. He He made laps. He did the best he could with the equipment he had, and this is an upgrade for him. I mean, uh, TriStar Motorsports is a back-of-the-pack race team, but it's better than BK. Oh, absolutely. He's going
0: to be much more competitive, I think, this year than where he was last year. And it's a step in the right direction. I mean, I don't know what Witt's plans are. Apparently, Cole asked to be to have his schedule reduced for 2018. Um, so, you know, this is an opportunity maybe for LaJoy down the road to where, you know, maybe he can run this full time in a couple of years. If, if Witt uh, wants to cut back entirely within the next couple of years, you know, this is a kid who's worked hard. Uh, a lot of people have said about him in this sport. One of the things you look at for the core the joy is he, he knows his chassis. He knows a race car. He's built race cars. Um, and he's really worked his way up the hard way. He's taken a lot of, of lumps and give, you know, here's where Ron Devine, to me, this is going to be Ron Devine's lasting impact on his sport. Um, as many negative things as you can say about Ron Devine, that he owes people money, that he's given a sport a black eye, yada, yada, yada. He's given a lot of people opportunities, a lot of young kids opportunities who wouldn't have necessarily had him. Matt menedetto was a perfect example, you know. Uh he's a, Di Benedetto is now a fan favorite. He's great on Instagram and or excuse me, he's great on Twitter and Facebook. People love him. He's a good driver. He's got a decent ride with the thirty two car. Same thing with Corey LaJoy here now, who moves on to uh another team. You know, he gives these young kids who are talented race car drivers, but necessarily don't have a lot of money behind them, uh, opportunities. And, you know, as I'm sure frustrated as Corey LaJoy got in times last year, you know, it's better than sitting on the couch and beating his head against the wall like he tried the last couple of years. He's now in a uh, a decent ride, a a step in the right direction for his career, for sure. And uh, like I said, he has Ron Devine to kind of thank for that.
1: Yeah, we you and I were talking just before we came on. Um, Corey LaJoy, Brandon McReynolds sort of the same uh, era of young kids coming up. And the difference between Corey LaJoy and Brandon McReynolds is Corey took the rides when they were available. And Brandon was holding out for something better. And Corey's still in the show, and Brandon McReynolds is running at the K&M West Series. So, I mean, you got to applaud Corey LaJoy and the fight he's had to continue working his way into the series. I mean, like you said, he could be on the couch. But, no, he's going to run 26 races this year for uh, TriStar Motorsports. It could end up, I mean, you look how it started off. Look at Michael McDowell whenever he went to uh, Levine Family Racing. He started off with a partial schedule, splitting the ride with um, Ty Dillon, and then it wound up becoming his ride. And now he's at Front Row Motorsports because he helped build Levine Family Racing to what they are for some back And I think Michael McDowell This could be the same thing you see with Michael McDowell Where he's getting his start as a partial schedule And he could end up growing into the full schedule And could end up growing further into the sport I think it's a great move for Corey LaJoy It's a great move for TriStar Motorsports Because one of the things Corey LaJoy did not do last year In crap equipment Was tear it up
0: Yeah, and he he did early in the year He had a couple of wrecks But other than that, you know uh, I remember a couple of times people on the radio were saying Listen, this kid if that 83 car had a little or 23 car later in the year had a little bit of of horsepower they might be going somewhere because they really uh you know were pretty competitive for what they had in there so good luck to Corey and and he's running the uh 72 car at Daytona he's got some sponsorship that comes with him from BK Racing um so that's that's cool the sponsor I think it's Shootler Systems if I said that correctly uh they'll be his Daytona 500 sponsor so it's going to be interesting to see how competitive he is in that race car here in 2018 Another interesting little news bit That came out as far as the Cup Series Is concerned this week Was Todd Parrott Todd Parrott was the crew chief Of Levine Family Racing uh, You talked about that team They've obviously gone in a different direction For 2018 um, It was Michael McDowell and Todd Parrott As a duo last year McDowell's moved to Front Row Motorsports Todd Parrott move to Premium Motorsports It wasn't announced what car he will work on uh, Or what you know driver he's going to work with But listen, I'm a big believer in people wins championships. And Todd Parrott did a good job in that uh, 95 car last year. He brings a wealth of knowledge there. And I think it can only be an asset to Premium Motorsports. And and they got Tommy Baldwin over there and Jay Robinson. They got a lot of good, long uh, people who have long resumes in this sport. So a nice move here by Premium Motorsports to secure somebody with the talent of Todd Parrott for the 2018 season.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've heard the news of Premium Motorsports running Danica in the Daytona 500, which is with uh, Tony Urey Jr. as the crew chief. But they're going to run all 36 races, so they got to figure out what they're going to do with the other 35. And whenever they announced Todd Parrott, and Todd talked about it whenever he uh, said he was excited about his first day at Premium Motorsports and working with Jay Robinson, and you look at some of the great people who are in there, Pat Tryson, who's won races, Scott Eggleston has won races. Brian Keslowski as a driver and um, working on the team, Brian Keslowski was one of the biggest underdog stories to make the Daytona 500 one year and Tommy Baldwin as well. That's a good group of people. I mean, if there's one of the things that um, Joe Gibbs has talked about, whenever he built his team, it was built around people. When Tony Stewart built his team with Gene Haas, first thing he did was change the people because he said, people win championships, people make the team go that's some pretty good people that uh, Jay Robinson has lined up with premium motorsports with Pat Trice and Scott Eggleston, Tommy Baldwin, and now Todd Parrott. That's a lot of brain power of how to make a car go fast. Heck yeah. And,
0: and again, if you're a believer like I am that people wins championships, that's a good move. And, you know, I, I don't know for sure, but there's rumors out there that Landon castle uh, will be moving to this team in 2018 as well. So that's an interesting little uh, nugget to throw in there for premium motorsports as well. So, you know, um, who knows what Reed Sorensen's plans are for 2018. If he'll be back there. But, you know, if you add uh, Landon Castle, somebody with the likes of that, uh, that's a pretty good driver. And maybe it's Todd Parrott and Castle. You know, that's a pretty good driver combination for that team in 2018. Uh, it's a pretty good deal. And, and so maybe Premium Motorsports will, will see an uptick in their performance here in 2018 for a team that's really kind of struggled here the last few years. They have a two-car operation. Uh, we haven't seen them really run too competitively over the last few years. But I think Tommy Baldwin's a guy who wants to be competitive. You know, he used to own a race team, as we've seen. So uh, I, I think you might see some, some decent things out of premium motorsports um, this year. Before we bring on Gustine here, John, I want to quick touch on a couple of things here. The, first of all, um, news that came out today was uh, a driver won't be parked for too many men over the wall. Last year, we saw with Matt Kenseth that that he was parked, and his team was parked for the rest of the race because he had too many men go over the wall to fix crash damage. That will no longer be the case. That team will be penalized two laps instead of for the rest of the race, and they will also be given six minutes instead of five minutes on the crash clock. What are your thoughts on those changes, John?
1: I think the uh, parking the car was probably – uh, a road too far. I mean, that was the bridge too far. I think there was no. That was stupid the way NASCAR did it, and I don't think they really knew it because I mean, Kansas people would not have gone over if they had too many, knowing their car was going to be parked after crash damage. Um, I mean, in the past they've been able to take as many over as they need. If they had it, they just got sat, they sat for a lap, and it's like, okay, what's the worst that can happen? We got to get this car. We have five minutes to get it back together. What's one more lap? I think the two laps is about right because if you're going to have crash damage at most places, two laps is enough that's going to put you where you're not going to come back and win the race, except for maybe Daytona and Talladega. If you catch a lucky dog and, um, end up pulling yourself through it because Daytona and Talladega, you can drive a beat up old jalopy. As long as it's drafting well, you can end up staying in the top five. We've seen that the past few years. I mean, heck, how many times have you seen a car that was held up by duct tape and, um, bondo make the cross the start line and win the race um i think the six minutes is a good thing considering you're taking another body off a pit road uh so instead of six people over the line you got five people over the wall working on it another minute's not gonna it's not gonna help or hurt really because if if you need six minutes to fix the car you're pretty much done for the day so it's not going to be a hindrance it's not going to be a big help but it seems fair all right, yeah, you forget about that rule because there's been a lot of changes here,
0: a lot of subtle changes, not not one major big change for 2018, but a lot of little different um, rule changes. You know, you talk about the pit crew. We talk about the, the now the, the crash clock and two laps, and there's been a lot of little changes here, here and there in the Cup Series for 2018. You know, I agree with the six minutes. Again, I, I would like to see that time be when they're stopped in the pit box, start and end um i think you know having it when they start on when they get on pit road and and when they exit pit road is kind of dopey um i I just you know to me you could have done it five minutes and said well keep it five minutes but we're going to do it when you're in stopped in a pit stall i'm sure there's a reason why they're not doing that uh i can't really think of one off the top of my head but there's got to be a reason why they're not doing that and uh, i just think it would be better for everybody easier for everybody um to do it that way you know what happens, for example, if a guy speeds coming off a pit road to beat that clock, which, you know, I think you might eventually see somebody do. Are they going to black flag them for that? Or, I mean, what happens? So are they just going to get sent to the rear of the field? Well, they're going to be there anyway. So to me, it, it makes you kind of scratch your head and wonder uh, why they're not going with, um, you know, when they're parked in a pit box, John.
1: Well, the other one that bothers me is they talked about it whenever people griped and complained about the uh, caution laps counting around the stage finishes. And everybody griped and complained, saying, hey, they're taking 10 laps away from us. We could have green flag racing instead of um, just saying, okay, we're going to do these laps. They don't count. And we're going to race instead of the four or five laps it takes every time at the end of a stage race that get taken off of the uh, show. so And NASCAR is like, well, we're going to just keep it the way it is. And I think it's stupid as hell that they're doing it. I think the stupid as hell when they come in, it's like, say, for example, you're at Martinsville. It's a 35-mile-an-hour speed limit. It's a half-mile track. By the time you get in, think about your five minutes and get out. You're 10 laps down.
2: Hmm.
1: If you go to Talladega – you're doing 45 mile an hour on on pit road and you can do your five minutes and you're only two laps down. So it's, it's six of one, half dozen of the other. It's just stupid the way they do it. I just wish, I mean, to be honest with you, I'd rather them not do it on pit road. I'd rather them like have a staging area behind the wall. So that way you don't have guys out there while there's a caution period going on because people are pitting around them and they're trying to thrash and get that car fixed. They go to a staging area behind the wall. They've got five minutes in that staging area. If they're not out in the five minutes, take your car back to the truck. If you're out in five minutes, you get back into the race.
0: Yeah. Listen, I I think it would be simpler to do that. Uh, I don't, again, I just don't understand. There's gotta be a reason because they don't think they just put these rules in. And if somebody suggests something, say, Oh yeah, by the way, that, um, you know, that doesn't, we didn't even think about that kind of thing. So, you know, I just think uh, – I, I don't understand the reason for it, but, you know, there's got to be a reason why NASCAR doesn't go there, um, and I'd be curious to find out exactly what that is. Um, you know, as far as Daytona is concerned this week, John, um, what are your thoughts on, on on these rules? Do you think uh, – there's not really any new rule changes for Daytona this week. Um, so what do you think about these – the What what kind of racing we're going to see uh, this weekend at Daytona International Speedway?
1: I think there's one major rule change that is sitting there that sort of people don't think about too much, and it's the ride height because, as Kyle Busch said, they can end up doing two and a quarter because of the ride height. You take that two, three, five inches instead of trying to press it down where they don't have to worry about how high the car is post-inspection and everything like that. I think it makes a major difference. And also it's going to help keep supposedly keep the keep car on the ground. We'll find out Saturday night or Sunday afternoon when they do the clash, if they're out there running 210 mile an hour laps, look out, here comes a bigger, rest- I mean, here comes more, a smaller restrictor plate where they're going to slow those cars down. And they're going to prepare, everybody's preparing for what they have now. And they change the restrictor plate. Whoever may be the fast car on Sunday afternoon for the clash maybe junk whenever it comes time for, uh, the one, the dual one fifties. Yeah. This clash is interesting because again, it's the absolutely
0: the first time these cars in racing conditions will hit the racetrack. Um, you know, and we don't have that much practice this year because of the one engine rule. Um, so I, I'm curious as to, uh, how these teams are going to handle this is that, you know, are we going to see any drafting practice at all, um, prior to qualifying for the Daytona 500, there's two practices, three practices, including the clash practice um, on Saturday. You know, are these teams going to sit there and you know uh, run as many miles as they can on these engines, a- as much as they can? Cause to me, you know, I think these teams are going to want to watch these engines, especially because this is the first year we're doing this, where you only have one engine at Speedweeks. So it used to be two, and you could switch either before or after the duels, whatever you preferred. And uh, now we're going to one to save teams money for Speed Weeks here. Um, It's going to be very interesting to see if these engines hold up and how these teams strategically work their way through these practice sessions because you're not going to want to put a lot of miles on those engines.
1: No, you don't. And if you keep thinking about it, one thing that I still want to know is, you know how the engine at Talladega was supposed to be crated up and being used for the duels. Or is it used for the the Clash, one of the two? I just want to know what happens if you have a car that wasn't in that. These new teams that are coming out that weren't part of it. I mean, what happens to the engine? They get a brand new one, fresh one, where they've got 500 miles less on the engine than these guys do. I think... There's a lot of things we're going to see at Daytona that could really shock the heck out of us. I think the the five-person over-the-wall crew is going to mess things up. I mean, they've had all winter to practice it, but whenever you're doing it in game – I mean, you can have the greatest practice in the world, and you go out there in game situation, and you screw the pooch on it. I mean, it's something you got to look at. The other one you got to look at is how many engines are we going to blow? And especially at Daytona and Talladega, you blow an engine in the middle of the field and you drop an oil. It's all, I mean, you've got a big one brewed right there because everybody's right on top of each other. And once that oil goes and oil hits the track, the next four or five cars start spinning and everybody keeps piling into them. We could end up with a seven car finish because of this stupid engine rule.
0: Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see again, how it plays out. And, you know the 120 150 mile qualifying races now um you know that's huge and add that with 650 miles you're putting on in race conditions um i just don't know how you know i know they've cut down on some practice times but i I don't know enough about engines to know just how long and how much how far these engines can go uh you know without blowing on these super speedways um You know, so and it's gonna be interesting to see what happens if these engines are damaged. As far as, you know, if you overheat it a little bit, how does that affect the rest of the weekend? And um, how hard do you push in these 150-mile qualifying races? You know, if you feel like, hey, I'm gonna kind of take it easy. Qualifying's not that important. And I know you get uh, 10, you get those those points um, for the regular season and the duels, but. Uh, at the end of the day, you might sit there and go, you know what? The big picture is the Daytona 500. I mean, do you s- envision a situation where if a driver gets into this situation where you know they've, they they the car hasn't been handling the way they want to, um, and they want to you know practice and 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 you know I don't know I just feel like there might be a situation where one of these two one of the, some driver and some team might sit there and go, you know what? Let's let's forget about. The 150-mile qualifying races we will run 100 miles, get our practice underneath us. Car feels great. Um, you know, we really don't need to do anything. We don't need to win this race. We really don't need the points to all that badly. We want to win a Daytona 500. So we're going to kind of sit there and just go to the back, and then when we silently go to the back, we're just going to pull off the racetrack. Do you see a situation like that maybe happening in,
1: in the du- in the duels? I can tell you flat out, if I'm on the pole or the outside front row and – If it's me, because of the mileage and everything that comes with the engines and what could happen instead of putting 600 miles on, I go to the first pit stop and run a pit stop under green flag conditions and see what happens with the team and make sure we get that under our belts. I'd go out for one more lap pull in the damn garage because you're saving 100 miles that somebody else isn't going to have on their engine. And you're locked into the front row.
0: Yeah, I'll be curious to see. How NASCAR would handle that? I mean, there's really nothing they can do, and it would be a smart move for some of those teams to do that. And I wonder if some of these crew chiefs—I would love to talk to one—if they have this on their mind, where they're sitting there going, you know what? These—and—and that's the thing with these duels—they've come, they've become sort of irrelevant. You know, there used to be a time, you know, 20 years ago, when we had the provisionals, where you wanted to run them because you didn't want—you didn't want to use your provisional. You know, you only had so many. And so it made sense for every team to run a duel because even though you were high in order points you still might have to fall back on a provisional and you only got eight and God forbid you had or six or something whatever the number was you had a limited amount and and you know if you had a tough year in qualifying you wanted as many as you possibly could have so it, it kind of, it was sure it wasn't a huge factor but it was still a, a factor where you sit there and go you know what um, I, I need to run this because I don't want to use my provisionals out but I'm telling you, I could envision with this one-engine rule, and maybe this is something that's going to backfire in that face here, where some of these teams, let's say a Denny Hamlin sitting there in third, and he's like, you know what? The car's running really, really good. Why do I want to risk this when the big picture's Sunday? Let's pull out a line and go to the rear of the field and kind of just hang there for a couple laps and then pull it in uh, with 20 to go. We'll save our car, we'll save the miles on our engine, and we'll get ready for the Daytona 500. I would love to see how, you know, and you got to wonder if that's part of the hundred percent rule or not. I would love to see
1: how NASCAR um, handles that for sure. Well, I mean, I don't know how NASCAR can't handle it and have to deal with it because how many times have you seen uh, somebody start the race and then five laps later, they pull in and they retire from the day because of handling. So, I mean, who who's there to say why? I mean you can pull out of the race anytime you want and collect your paycheck. As long as you start it, you're gonna get a check. So whether you have handling at lap one hundred or or at the hundred mile mark or you have handling at the five lap mark. what to say NASCAR can't just say, Oh, I can't deal anything about this because it's the way the rule book's written. So I would if I'm if I'm the cars on the front row, unless I'm blowing the field away, and and if I get caught in a pack, if I have like a bad pit stop where I end up in 15th instead of out front, you know damn well I'm thinking about pulling it in, parking it, and saving that thing, saving that bullet for Sunday.
0: Yeah, I think it's all the big teams, the big name teams, with, which in NASCAR's eyes, and as far as being competitive, um, you have to wonder, you know. I, I think those are the only teams that would do it because if you look at a team like, oh, I don't know, uh, maybe the 95 with Casey Kane, where they're going to be on the edge of making this chase and every single point matters. Um, so, m- excuse me, making the playoffs, I should say, because we don't use chase anymore. But every single point matters to where you sit there and you go, listen, we have to run this race because every single point's going to matter. Now you can say, well, look at Joey Logano. If Joey Logano was in this situation last year, he, should, he would run the entire race because he needed every single point he could get. I completely understand that, but teams aren't thinking that. And, you know, if you're Chad Knauss and you're Jimmy Johnson, you made the chase every single year you've made this, these playoffs since they've been instituted in 2004. Every year, you're there, and I don't think anybody uh, will envision a 2018 not being a year where Jimmy Johnson makes the playoffs so, if you're Chad and Jimmy, it makes sense for you to do that. But again, if you're a team like Casey Kane or a team like uh, Michael McDowell, the 34, who who needs points, you know, if you ever, you know, uh, get to a situation where you win a race on a play track, you know, you're going to need those points to kind of keep you up in the top 30. So, those teams are going to run. But I'm talking about the handful, five to 10 big time teams. That's where I have a scratch my head and I go, hmm. Wonder if they're gonna finish run run these races this race here the whole 150 mile qualifying race, and especially because you know these teams in this, it's funny how the second duel is always the more mellow one because the first one everybody's kind of anxious, and everybody from the second duel watches the first duel and kind of sits there and goes okay we're gonna settle down we're gonna log some laps here we're gonna make it you know uh make it to the end here because we don't want to tear up our day twenty five hundred cars. Um, but if somebody does that in the first duel, it'd be interesting to see how many teams, if one team does it in the first duel, how many teams do that in the second duel, uh, kind of this monkey see monkey do thing. But I think that's something to keep an eye on. And again, I would love to see how NASCAR, uh, handles that situation.
1: I think one of the things you look at is Martin Truex Jr. Sort of changed the way the game was played last year. Him and Cole Pern went for every point possible. And you saw how it was when they hit the final four races, the last segment before you hit the championship race. It would have taken an act of God for the 78 team not to make the championship four because they won more stage points than anybody. They had points out of the duels coming. They won more races than anybody. It would have taken an almost an act of God. They would have had to crash out of probably two of the three races to not make the playoffs because they had so many playoff points already sitting there. There's going to be somebody who's going to try to pull the uh, furniture row, Martin Truex Jr., Cole Pern deal, and try to get every point possible this year because that's what they want to do. They figure the quicker we get ourselves locked in and not have to worry about things, we're going to go after every point possible. Yeah, it's going to be, it's
0: going to be really, really I, – I love strategy like that. I just think strategy like that. Uh, where crew chiefs are using their brains a little bit and trying to outthink NASCAR, trying to outthink each other. I think it's awesome to do and watch. I think that's a big part of our sport. That's uh, kind of underrated at times is how smart these people are and how race strategy uh, and and how they prepare for the weekend is something that um, is fun to watch. One of my things, one of the things I'm happy about in this Advanced Auto Parts Duel coming up, Advanced Auto Parts Class, excuse me, coming up here on Sunday, is there's only 17 cars in it. You know, there was 20 drivers available. Uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Matt Kenseth don't have rides this year. Earnhardt retired. Kenseth didn't get a ride this year. And Danic Patrick was eligible as well. Um, So I'm excited about that, John. But, you know, another thing I'm excited about is the ARCA race here on Saturday afternoon. And one of those drivers participating in that ARCA race is Gus Dean, uh, who's joining the show tonight. Hey, Gus, thanks for joining the show
2: absolutely i appreciate you having me on
0: oh no problem uh let's talk a little bit about your career here how, how you started in racing before we get to your 2018 season because there's a lot of changes from 2017 to 2018 uh, but you started off in go-karts um how did go-kart racing help prepare you for what you do today
2: well you know a lot of people are uh, you know obviously assume that the, the go-karts wouldn't have much resemblance to to these, these big heavy race cars but um and for the most part, they don't at the short tracks. However, these super speedways, um, you know, obviously the name of the game is drafting, and uh, and with go karts, that that's the same case. You know, they're very low horsepower, and it, it, it all requires walking. So that kind of feeds into what we used to have to do when I first started racing, and and I, and I feel like that that helps me out a lot. Um, but uh, you know, it, it's <laughs> two very very different styles of racing. Um, but with lessons that you can take from, from both of them.
1: Hey, Gus, it's John Harlow. Uh, after you got through your go-karts, you moved to the Legacy Cars, and you won at North Wilkesboro, and you took the elevator ride to Victory Lane. Um, a lot of people who have big-time names won at North North Wilkesboro, and you won at 2010 in the Allison Legacy Cars. How cool was it to put your name Along with the Junior Johnsons, the Daryl Waltrip's, and all the many great people who won at North
2: Wilkesboro. Oh, it was unbelievable! You know, a track with that much history. Uh, you know, it was it was really really cool to 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 be able to to say that I had even raced there, much less won there. Um, and and I actually didn't know it at the time, but I was told afterwards that that was the first time that a car had been put on that elevator since Jeff Gordon won in nineteen ninety four. Um, at the last North Wilkesboro Cup race, so that was that uh, was really really special to me to be able to do that and uh, and be able to to go up on the elevator and, and, and claim a victory there and you know it's 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 one of those places that uh, you know you can look at the walls, you can look at the grandstands, you can look at the the scoring tower. Everything just has that antique history to it that that you know you can see how it was back in the heyday and, and really it's nostalgic is what it is
0: and listen i i totally agree and one of the things i really love about the arca series is that they have some of those old-fashioned short tracks where you know uh it wears your tires out and um you know a lot of passing a lot of beating and banging uh is that your kind of style of racing do you enjoy that those kinds of short tracks uh to race on here in the arca series
2: absolutely you know i mean that's the kind of tracks that that obviously I cut my teeth on coming up through racing. Um but but that, that that's that's for the most part everybody. You know, nobody really starts off at a super speedway. Um I'm a little bit different though where most people, especially most of the guys that I race against uh today in the ARCA series, uh, you know, after they came out of Legacy or Legends or or whatever small car they came from, normally went to super late models and then from Super Late models moved into ARCA. Um, I actually was able to catch the tail end of the Hooters Pro Cup series. Um, it, it was actually the X1R at the time. So when I came out of legacy cars, I went to the Pro Cup cars, which is which is much more resemblant of an ARCA car because it's a it's a, a perimeter chassis. It's not a straight rail like the Super Late models, and it's you know they're much heavier. They roll over. They they, they for all intents and purposes are. are you know, pretty much identical chassis with minor differences. So <clears throat> being, that being said, I, I cut cut my teeth on those heavier race cars, learning how to drive them. And while I will admit that I think that hurt me a little bit in my super late model career, I think that, that really helped me prepare for uh, my ARCA career when I, when I moved back into the big cars. It uh, really helped me adjust to these cars much faster and, and be able to really focus on the new tracks that I was going to versus having to learn the new car and the new
1: truck. We're talking with Gus Dean on Talking with Circles, John Harlow, Clayton Caldwell. Gus, you're uh, back with Wintron Racing for a second year this year. Tell us about the team and what your expectations are this year compared to last year.
2: You know, Wintron is is such a great team. It's such a family atmosphere. And and Mr. Kevin Solinsky, the owner, uh, he's just – he's a real racer. You know, he wants – when he gets to the track, it is about winning races and bringing home hardware, and, and I really, really respect that. I really enjoy that aspect of winter. Um This year, we we've made, you know, a few pretty major changes uh, with the organization. We for starters switch from Toyota to Chevrolet. Um, I'm really excited about that. Uh, these Chevy bodies seem to to draft really well at the super speedways. I, I'm really looking forward to how they're going to behave on the mile and a half. Uh, and we've also made a crew chief change. We've got uh, Mr. Jamie Jones on top of the box. Uh, where w- him and I have had, you know, a, a decent amount of time in the shop talking and, and, and at the Daytona Test. I'm really looking forward to getting uh, getting a race under our belt uh, because we've, we've gotten along so well. Here in the beginning of the driver-crew chief relationship, I, I can't wait to see how, how that transpires uh, once, we, once we begin
0: races. It's interesting, you know you talked about the the switch from Toyota to Chevrolet. What does that entail for you guys in the Arca series? You know I know a lot of people are familiar more familiar with the Cup series, but as far as the Arca series goes, what does changing a manufacturer mean for a team like you guys at Wintron
2: well you know it's 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 uh, more of a of an aerodynamic change uh, for us <laughs> Man, i'll I'll be pretty honest with you they don't they don't really include the driver in that decision too much that's uh I kind of drive what they put me in and, and what they tell me to do, but um, the you know it was uh, it was an aerodynamic decision uh, as well as just an affiliation decision. We think that the team Chevy is uh, really going to make some some strides to improve their racing program, and, and we want to be on board with that. We have a lot of confidence in, the, in in Chevrolet and the Chevy body, so I'm I'm really looking forward to being able to run them this year.
1: Hey Gus, you wanted Talladega in two thousand and sixteen. Uh, you're starting off the season at Daytona. Um, you already know, everybody knows going into Daytona, it's you gotta beat Bobby Gearhart to win the race. Um how confident are you in the plate tracks and your abilities running the plates?
2: You know, it's um it's uh, I have a, a love hate relationship with Super Speedways. Uh, obviously we've uh we've won Talladega, which was absolutely incredible being my second ultra race, seven super speedway race. Um, uh, but my first super speedway race, I only made it two laps. Um, and, uh, and my second, in my third super speedway race, uh, at Daytona this past year, um, we, like mid race, we got taken out in the exact same way that we did the first Daytona race. So, uh, it's definitely a love, hate relationship, winning, but, um, I, I have all the confidence in the world in my team and my equipment. And, uh, and, and, and my spotter, Tyler Mond. So I'm really, uh, you know, the, the spotters are are such a big deal at the Super Speedways, just being able to help you move through the drafting lines, that, that having somebody that you trust up on top of the box can make all the difference in the world. And and I feel like we really have that. We really have the connection with the team. And and uh, I think everything's just lining up for us this year. Um, yeah, I, I really have a good feeling about, about this coming Saturday.
0: Talking in circles, Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow here with you tonight talking to uh, Arca Series driver, Gus Dean. You know, anybody who watches you race, Gus, knows um, what your car looks like. It's a beautiful car. Greed Cooling Products is back again this year with you. You also have a few other partners. What can you tell us about those deals and how has Greed, uh, what do they do and how they helped you in your career?
2: The, the people with Greed Cooling Products have been have been incredible. They, they really decided... To, to come on board and give me that second chance at Talladega um, where, where we were able to claim that victory. And, and that, you know, evolved into a, a year-long sponsorship last year um, and, and another year-long sponsorship this year. Uh, I really can't thank them enough for, for having the faith that they do in me. They are a, a small air conditioning unit uh, provider. They, they do mostly what we call mini splits um, and portable air conditioning units. But uh, they they are a very well built product for that market. Probably the best on the market. Um, they they uh, they've really made leaps and bounds trying to break into the racing marketing world where Reem has has dominated for so long. And I, I think the product is is just so good and, and speaks volumes for itself that, that they'll have no problems evolving and growing uh in the racing world hopefully hopefully with me with them
1: hey Gus, um uh, one of the things i always take and really enjoy about the arca series you can run the super speedways at daytona and talladega you can run the short tracks but you also have a little dirt sprinkled in there how much of a difference is it and what does it do to help your are being for be able to master the dirt in an arca car
2: well you know the um the dirt races are, are definitely something that drivers either love or hate. Um, yeah, I, I come from dirt, and, and that, these Arca cars are definitely not designed to race on dirt. Um, and you know that when you go out there and race them. They, they, they're they very sluggish in the corners. They roll over a lot. Um, we do the best we can to get them to perform the way they need to, but they don't have four-length suspensions and, and stuff like that like, like dirt super late models do. So it's definitely a challenge to, to get an asphalt car to behave the way you need it to around a dirt track. And and, and a lot of that just falls on the shoulders of the driver, being able to adapt and, and learn what he needs to do to get that car rolling. And I think that's what the Arkansas really excels in, is is teaching drivers like myself, you know, how, how to be able to adapt to the different race tracks. Like you said, I mean, from the high banks of Daytona to to the dirt, piles of the coin we we have to learn how to drive all these different racetracks and that really helps prepare as we move forward to our careers
0: well gus i'll tell you what it was a great we had a great time talking to you tonight uh i appreciate it and great good luck at daytona uh we're certainly gonna be watching you and hope you have a lot of fun
2: i really appreciate it thank you again for having
0: me. that was gustine arca racing series driver here joining us tonight on talking circles a lot of interesting information i'll tell you what i would i remember when they when North Wilkesboro Speedway, uh, came back to life. And, um, you know, the fact that he was the, the first driver since Jeff Gordon to ride the elevator, the elevated victory lane. Um, that's so cool. I mean, and, and I'm sure it was a highlight of his career. Uh, I mean, that is cool. And I, I just, you know, a lot of people love North Wilkesboro Speedway. Unfortunately, I don't think we're ever going to see it come back. Um, but, uh just to have that little bit of a life back to where they elevated Victory Lane one more time for another driver—that's uh, really, really cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially as young as he was, uh, enjoying the heck out of that. And I mean, to be able to say you were in the same place at Daryl Waltrip, Junior Johnson, Jeff Gordon, some of the biggest names in our sport, and at that young age, and be able to appreciate it, and then also to say I've won at Talladega—I mean. Gus has a, a nice little resume going already. And I mean, he can put his name in there with a lot of the big ones. He may not be in the Cup Series yet, but he's won in a lot of places that people wish they were able to.
0: Heck yeah. And Wintron's a good team. And, and Gus ha- had a good year last year. He finished fourth in the points. So they're a team to keep an eye on, not only at Daytona, but throughout this whole Arca Racing Series season. They run Daytona, and then they, they have a long gap until the second race in April. At one of those short tracks, I talk about that. I would love to see NASCAR go back to the Nashville Fairgrounds as their second race on the schedule. Uh, Every race will be telecast this year for the Arca Series. They're going to have races uh, split between FS1 and MAV-TV. So uh, if you're into the Arca Series and and that's something that you like and enjoy, which, you know, it's different. It's sort of a throwback um, as far as the racetracks they go to. That's what I love about it is that the racetracks they go to aren't – you know, exactly, uh, polished the way the cup tracks are, you know, sometimes there might be, uh, pit stalls at certain racetracks that, uh, the top five are the best pit stalls and the rest of them are smaller than others. I love that because it makes the top five qualifying in the top five, that much more important. And if you want to prevent that, you have to qualify good. So, uh, if you'd like the Arca series and you're into the Arca series, uh, there, every race will be televised this year, which is awesome for them uh, on FS1 and math TV. So that's pretty cool, John.
1: Yeah. I think it, it reminds me of the days of Bristol, the way it used to be where you had the front and backstretch pit stalls. And if you pitted on the backstretch, it was a big time penalty for you. I mean, you hated the idea of pitting on the backstretch. Um, Now the way they have it set up, it's almost the best pit stall to park at is the last pit stall on the backstretch because you can fly around a turn because there's uh, nobody in your way and then you get a clean out, you've got the turn, and you know where the timing lines are and everything, it gives you an advantage if you, if you have that last stall on the back stretch or the last stall on the front stretch. I think those are two of the best pit stalls you can get your hands on at Bristol. I used to like it at Dover when they had 43 cars running. They only had 42 pit stalls. Or was it 41 pit stalls where a couple of them yeah. had to change? You, you didn't even get your own pit stall. You had to pit a lap different than somebody else.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about it today, actually, which is kind of funny because I was thinking about when I read that Gus Dean uh, ran at North Wilkesboro, I was thinking about part of the reason why we got out of North Wilkesboro was, and there was plenty of other reasons, but part of it was they only had 36 pit stalls, and now I sit there and go, well, 36 pit stalls is kind of what our maximum field is. Uh, With charters, it's 36, uh, and we see that a lot, uh, that number a lot. So, you know, it really isn't a big deal, but it's funny because I said, you know, we used to go to Dover and switch pit stalls and it, I don't know. I just think, you know, uh, is it really, a, it, it kind of made it fun. You know, it kind of made it interesting. It just added another element of the race. You know, now these pit stalls a lot of these racetracks are are wide as can be uh, as big as they can be. And it makes it pretty, I wouldn't say easy, but a lot easier on the drivers than what it was 15, 20 years ago. And it took that element away. And that to me, was another interesting thing. I mean, how many times do you see drivers overshoot their pits now? Very, very rare because they're just so big everywhere you go. They're so much more uh, comfortable. And uh, I just think it's an element of this race
1: racing that, that we miss, um, you know, in NASCAR for sure. The one thing that I – I mean, a couple of places where I really enjoy pit road, watching to see them work, is Indy because of the wall on the inside that makes it so tight. Because you're coming off of you're coming out of your pit stall. There's a 50 50 chance you're wrecking somebody on pit road. And the other one that I really enjoy watching is I love Martinsville on pit road because those pit stalls are so damn tight, and you've got both turns to deal with. I mean, heck, you're, there's spots where you're coming around and it's blind to get into your pit stall because of the way things are. I think it's a, I think pit pit road has gotten to the point where, I mean, you look they've drop the guy off a pit road to try to make pit stops actually last longer because they're turning pit stops 11, 12 seconds. I mean, they regulated the pit gun to take the lugs off. So, I mean, they're doing everything they can to try to uh, balance the field out for everybody.
0: Yeah. And we talked about those subtle changes that NASCAR's made, those, those small changes that aren't necessarily huge that go under the radar that's one of them, the, those, those relegated pit guns, you know, and I think it's something that is going to be something to keep an eye on as far as, you know, Joe Giz racing said, they put a lot of investment, put a lot of time into those pit guns and they're disappointed that they don't have that advantage anymore. Um, but it's about level of the playing field. I mean, who would have thought that that's where you can get an advantage, but in 2018 with how close the racing is in NASCAR, you look anywhere you can get an advantage. And that was certainly one that, that, uh, cert that, Toyota teams and, and Joe Gibbs racing in particular had uh, had and, and they're losing for 2018. So again, those subtle changes that you look that we talked about that have flying out on the radar. That's one of them too. And uh, it's something to keep an eye on as well.
1: Hey, you have Brett Moffat getting into Hatori racing. You have uh, Myatt Snyder going to Thor sport. But before we talk about that, Let's uh, hook up with 2012 Cup Rookie of the Year, Stephen Leibniz on Talking in Circles with John Harlow and Clayton Caldwell. Stephen, thanks for joining us tonight. It's good to have you on the show.
0: Absolutely. I appreciate it. How are you guys doing? Uh, We're good. Uh, So you're going to be running the full year at JP Motorsports, a startup Xfinity Series team. They bought some cars from TriStar Motorsports. Uh, what can you tell us about this team and how excited are you for 2018? It's been a, it's been a long hard road for you. Uh, you know, you had a development deal at Yates, and and you bounced back, and now you're back in the Xfinity Series full time. You've got to be excited for this season.
3: Oh yeah, I'm definitely excited and uh, can't wait to get started. Uh, Jay, Jerry Hadaway and myself, uh, I met him a little, little under a year ago, uh, the spring race in Vegas back in 2017, and. And uh, he'd always expressed some interest in wanting to own his own team. And so I just kept in touch with him and uh, did my deal last year. And at the end of the season, uh, he called me up and said he was going to pull the trigger and do a new deal. And I said, well, I'd love to be a part of it. And um, a couple weeks later, we ironed out our sponsorship with Janet King and uh, ended up uh, combining forces.
1: Hey, Steven, I think it's really great you're, You keep you're one of those ones that just kept your helmet. Helmet bag ready to go and always kept knocking on doors, trying to make things go. Um, the one thing it's got to be tough is, I mean, you started off running for Robert Yates and we lost Robert Yates last year. And Robert went into the hall of fame. Tell us a story of Robert Yates that nobody really knows about.
3: Well, I tell you, Robert really loved a race. And uh, but the one thing he loved more was, was people. And uh, when we were at the race shop, um, you know, I think when he was around, anytime he walked in, no one ever thought we were there to work. Um, he was—he was always uh, telling stories, laughing, patting everybody on the back, just having a good time. You could tell he was—he was in his most favorite place to be, and was that race shop with all the guys. And uh, he just—he liked being one of the guys. And uh, most people would, you know, wouldn't think that because at the racetrack, he was a completely different person the racetrack he kept his head down had his sunglasses on it was all business but uh when we weren't at that racetrack he was the complete opposite so i don't think a lot of people must seeing it firsthand you know talking about it's one thing but seeing it's always different and that was uh it was always it was a special time when i was
0: there and i'll never forget it yeah he and way overdue for his hall of fame induction by the way uh you know just a tremendous asset to the sport for many many years you know we talked about jp motorsports earlier uh, 2018 this is their first year What are your goals for this season You have a teammate with Josh Balicki now They they just announced that this week What are your goals for this season
3: Well we uh, for sure I think our number one is to get off to a good start um, You know we, we do have Some points on my card in 55 uh, Josh is going to have to Have a good solid first five races To to establish himself well in the points um, Because I can believe Once race six comes around we'll be going off of this year's points you know, I, I think our, our you know, our goals are realistic. I think uh to start the season off we really wanna uh focus on, you know, at least the top twenty, top twenty five finish average. Um I think that's more than doable with the people we've got. Uh Jason Hadling is my crew chief and um you know, we got good equipment, we're gonna have good motors. I think uh, I think that's very doable. Probably by the middle of the season I think we wanna really start trying to focus on getting more towards top 15 and top 20, uh, average. And, and I think by the end of the season, you know, we are hoping, especially with the real courses and some of the short tracks and places like that, that, uh, we might have a, uh, you know, a couple contends for the wins, um, more than doable. I mean, we saw a couple of guys do some big upsets last year, and I don't see any reason why we can't be one of those guys this year. Hey,
1: Steven, uh, you're getting ready to go to Daytona, um, nine days away from you guys strapping it in and, uh, Going for 300 miles. Uh, last time you really ran Daytona was in 07, which is almost 10 years, I a mean, little over 10 years ago. Uh, you did a couple starting parks in between. How excited are you to get back in the draft? Do you love it, hate it, or is it a love hate and you just want to get back in the car and do the best you can?
3: Well, I, it's funny. We've been talking about that for the last two weeks. Um, I don't really care for super speedways only because it's haven't done, you know, well in the draft i feel i feel like i i for the most part have a have a hang of it and have a feel for it but you know I'll just as an example i always give to everyone every time i've been in talladega i have led the race at some point and every time the big ones happen i'm right in the middle of it <laughs> with nowhere to go so it's just it's one of those places where you know talladega Tony you just don't have any control as a driver you could do everything right all day every time you go there to race. And never make a mistake. And when some something a mistake is made somewhere else in the field, and you just happen to be a part of it, and you have no control over it, and that's just that's just the aspect of that style of racing that I'm not, I'm not really you know not really high on. But it is what it is. And and the, the good thing about those tracks is everyone that's in that draft in the top 40 has a chance to win. So uh, we look at it as an as an opportunity. And um, you know sometimes it doesn't work out, sometimes it does. And hopefully this will be the one. I think I read a statistic where accomplished. Uh, Daytona, his first nine races never finished a race because he got caught up in a wreck. And his tenth race, when he finally finished, he actually won.
0: So
1: wow. I'm hoping yeah. maybe I can have one of those storylines.
0: That'd be awesome to hey, see. Steve, it'd be great.
1: Hey Stephen, I got a follow up to that one. Um, we're, we were talking earlier about the on the Cup side, and since you've had some Cup experience, you could probably give a little insight into it. Because we were talking about the motors and how they had to seal them up last year after Talladega, they're going to run them this year. If you, like, say, for example, if you're in the Cup Series and you win the poll and you get to the 150 knowing that you only have so many miles on this engine and you know how long it's going to be, would you take the chance of just pulling off after the first pit stop just to say, okay, we drafted, we ran a pit stop under green, let's save this engine for Sunday, or are you going balls to the wall trying to get that trophy on Thursday?
3: I think it depends on the situation. Um, You know, I I think you have to have when it comes to the duels, especially if you if you qualify on the front row um, first or second, you, you kind of have to play it by ear um, if you're able to stay in the front during during the duel race and you never really get uh, shuffled back and you never get out of, and out of, you know doesn't seem to be getting too crazy and, and you can maintain that front position I, I think you for the most part would go for it at that point, but if you do get shuffled back, if you have a bad pit stop, something goes wrong. There's absolutely no reason for you to stay out there other than just if you feel like you you need to to practice or if there's something not right with the car and it's not comfortable in the draft, you want to make some adjustments to seal that out. Um, But I think if your car is handling good and you don't have any issues and you do get shuffled back, I I think personally I would want to pull in just because you don't want to take any chances. You know those guys are going to race hard at the end of that duel to to, to try to win or at least get a good start spot for the 500. Um, No reason to to wad your car up because if you do, you don't get to start on on the front row.
0: Yeah, no, it it would be um, – we were talking earlier, and it's just going to be interesting to see how some of these teams play that race with the new engine rule. Uh, Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow here with you tonight talking in circles. We're talking to Stephen Light, the 2012 uh, Cup Series Rookie of the Year. Uh, something interesting about you is you've had a lot of different rides over the last few years. You know, We've seen you at um, uh, Key Motorsports. We've seen you at BK Racing at Pocono earlier in the year uh, in 2017. Do you feel because of those rides and you know how those teams are sort of the smaller teams and and they run an older equipment? do you feel you're a better race car driver because of that uh, than where you were maybe five ten years ago?
3: I don't know um you know it's hard to judge anything you do in the, in the sport when you when you're not consistently in the seat all the time um you know when i I remember growing up when i got finally got to a s a the first year we ran, I ran with Howie Letow in that series. You know, we did we did pretty well, but Howie always told me, and, and I never understood it until the following season. He goes, your second season is always best. And, and I didn't understand what he meant until after the second season was over, and we were almost unbeatable. We won, I don't know, five or six races, seven races, five or six uh, second-place finishes. We were just unbelievable as a team, and because it took that long to build chemistry with each other, um, you know, where if I said something, he knew exactly what I was talking about. He knew what he needed to fix on the car, and if he said something to me or gave me advice, I knew what he meant. And in this sport, when you're not in the car all the time, it's hard to establish that. It takes time to get that. So, in a way, I think it hurt me. I don't. I don't really think it made me any better as a driver. If any, if, if the one thing it probably did do that, that I would say that helped me was give me more, give me patience, more patience than I, I ever used to have, and then that's something that's uh, that's hard to come by as a driver
1: uh, Stephen, steven with the startup team and you you talked about it with you and josh balicki running together uh you're working on building something you get through the tracks the first go around uh you and your crew chief get to know each other what kind of ex- expectations do you have for the second half of the season i mean especially with the xfinity series because there's so many cup guys who come down and play the game and steal a lot of the wins from you guys it almost seems like consistency is what's going to get you there Um, is that one of the things you're hoping for is consistent top 20s to start the year and then start trying to get toward the top 10 or is it, we're just want to make sure we get all the laps in, get our, get our feet underneath us. And then the second go around when we start seeing these tracks a second time, we have a notebook to go off of, then we can start making some moves.
0: Yes. I think it's a little bit
3: of both. Um, I think, you know, obviously the first part of the season, we want to make sure, Or at least, uh, you know, our goal is to be top 25 at worst every week on on our average finishes. And as we progress and as we build that chemistry, I think, you know, the timeline for or however long it takes come a top 15, a top 10 team every week. um, is just depends on how fast we build that chemistry. You know, I don't think you can really put a – we can't really say, you know, mid-season at this race we plan on being this. It comes with however fast we progress as a team, and we got to do it together. So um, that remains to be unseen. But I know we will definitely be doing everything in our power to get there as quickly as possible. Um, you know, if we if we have a, a 20th place race car, I might run 16th or 17th with it. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna wreck our cars trying to run 15th if we have a 20th place car. We need we need to bring these things home in one piece every week, run every lap, and that's the only way we can bring them back and make them better.
0: Jenny King uh, announced a sponsor this week. Three-race deal to start the season. Can you tell us what your relationship is like with them, and does that have the uh, potential to be expanded as the season goes on?
3: Yeah, I, I've uh, I've had a personal sponsorship with Jenny King now for four years. Um, unbelievable company. Uh, they do a lot with my father in uh, Hard Rock down in Florida. Um, we really felt like this was a perfect opportunity to show them the appreciation that we've always felt for them, having them on board with us. Um, they've done a lot for us that they haven't had to and stuck through us in the, you know, with some, some tough times that we've been in. And this was a perfect opportunity to get them on a, um, you know, a grand stage like NASCAR with some great exposure, some great media coverage. Uh, especially a place like Daytona, where you know all the hypes in the start of the season, biggest one of the biggest races of the year, first race of the season, and I look forward to uh, building this relationship with them. And I hope that um, doing this for them this year on on, on this level is going to hopefully uh, uh, bring them on board with us a lot, maybe even more so in the future.
1: Hey, Stephen, um, you you came into the sport. Uh, one early driving for Robert Yates and everything and then it's been a battle for the last uh, several years trying to get seat time trying to get a decent ride uh, and you see some of these people come in and just buy rides and they're in top equipment and no experience and they're almost like a dart with no feathers as Tony Stewart used to always say are just going to plow up the show Um, How tough is it whenever you're doing everything in your power to get a decent ride and show what you can do? I mean, heck, you've won won an Xfinity race in Kentucky for Robert Yates. There's a lot of these guys who haven't even smelled Victory Lane in the late model series that are getting decent rides because they have money behind them. How tough is it for you to watch that, and how tough is it to get money behind you?
3: You know, I... I I don't – I still don't know how to deal with it.
1: (laughs) I I deal with it all the time,
3: and uh, I've been dealing with it for 10 years, and it's just one of those things that it – you know, it is what it is. This is an expensive sport, unfortunately. Um, You know, when I first got to this level back in 06, 05, 06, 07, um, it still was the best drivers getting rides and not the biggest sponsors. And I think 08 is about when it – you know, this when the economy started falling, Sponsorships became a lot harder to find. Um, these teams were, you know, weren't having sponsors knocking on their doors anymore. They were actually having to go out and knock on their door. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things. If if you love this sport enough and it's truly really what you want to do and you're passionate about it, you have to roll with it and you have to you have to do whatever it takes. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, it is what it is. But I've, uh, I've for sure not given up, and I'm going to keep doing what I can to, you know, I'm, I'm hoping this season is a this is only going to be my second ever full-time season I've ever had in the sport in the series and looking to to build on that and hopefully get back on track from, from when I uh, got off track years ago.
0: Well, Steven, I'll be the first to say, I think you have a lot of talent. Uh, you've been close to rides in the past and we wish you nothing but the best of luck here in 2018 here on talking in circles. Uh, good luck with, with, with the new ride and uh, hope you guys do some good things here.
3: I appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much. I'll talk to you guys soon.
0: Thank yeah, you, please Stephen
3: come Light. Throughout the season, Stephen. Absolutely. Stephen, Thanks for having me.
0: That was Stephen Light uh, from JP Motorsports this year, driving the number fifty-five. Janie King's going to be sponsored for the first three races. Told us that uh, there's a potential. He hopes that that uh, sponsorship will increase as the season goes on. But let, he's an interesting guy because you know you you asked that perfect question because it was so interesting to get into the mind of a driver who's on the outside looking in a lot. Um, And and it's unfortunate because I think he personally has a lot of talent. I thought in 2012 when he drove um, for, uh, it was circle sport racing and one rookie of the year, he outran Cole Witt in that 33 car. And I was stunned when he didn't get that ride um, because you pull for somebody like that. He he ran for Tommy Baldwin. He had a one-off deal with Tommy Baldwin in the cup series uh, a few years ago as well. I think that was in 2011 at Richmond. Uh, he did a good job, finished 24th, a, a lap down, ran fine. And it's just like, you know, the kid's done everything. He, the guy's done everything. He's he's run well. He's done everything he's supposed to do. And yet he still doesn't even ride. And and it, I'm sure it was frustrating for him. Uh, I'm sure it was frustrating to, to watch, um, you know, but I, I just wish him the best of luck this year. And I hope they have a really good year over there at JP Motorsports.
1: Yeah, I really like Stephen Light. I think, uh, as he said, I mean, it's a money-driven sport now. Instead of uh, the drivers earn their keep by being good drivers, now it's how good of a PR guy are you what kind of sponsorship can you bring to the table. And that really has turned NASCAR closer to IndyCar than it was anything else. Uh, I really want to see him do well this year. Like he said, I mean, you, he around the sport since what, 2005, 2006. And he said, this is only a second full-time year in the Xfinity series. I mean, and he's, he's one of those guys who has talent. You never hear anybody saying, damn, that Steven light got in my way or he just blocking and everything. He drives the car that he has. And like you have heard him say, if I have a 20th place car, I try to get to sixteenth, but I'm telling you flat out, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do anything stupid to wreck it to get one more position. I'm gonna drive the car that I have and get the best finish I can out of it, but I'm not gonna put it in a situation just to get one more position because tearing up cars, especially whenever you have small spawn. I mean, like you said, Janet King's there for three races. It's a thirty-four race season for the Xfinity series. So he's gotta somehow make those cars last thirty 32 other races or 31 other races and try to get sponsorship for it. Yeah. And, and he's such an interesting figure as well, because, you know, we talked
0: about his, his deal at Yates and then he came back again and had like sort of a second wind in NASCAR. And this is sort of his third stop now. um, And third, you know, chance uh, as far as getting rides is concerned. So, um, but this is his, one of his bigger opportunities since his Yates deal. So hopefully everything works out for him. Uh, you know, and they have a really nice year there at JP Motorsports. Another guy, John, that that I think is talented that um, deserved the ride was Brett Moffitt. And it was announced today that Brett Moffitt will drive for Shigetori in the Truck Series, taking over Ryan Truex's ride uh, from last year. Truex has obviously moved on to the Xfinity Series with Cadillac Motorsports, uh, Cadillac Racing, excuse me. Um, but you know, good news today out of the Truck Series to see uh, you know a guy like Moffat who. I thought did well in the cup series at Front Row Motorsports when he was there and Michael Walter Racing finished 8th I think it was at Atlanta a bunch of years ago uh won a truck race at Michigan for Red Horse Racing got the Red Horse Racing ride last year before that team shut down in the middle of the year so uh another opportunity here for a guy like Brett Moffitt um I, you know I hope another guy I hope has a really nice year here in 2018 Yeah I really like Brett
1: Moffat. I think the kid has uh He's sort of like Stephen Light, really good driver, doesn't have a lot of sponsorship he brings with him, but he's a really good driver, and he can do things in a race car. I mean, you look, whenever um, David Reagan went to run for Michael Waltrip and Brett Moffat stepped into the 55 and ran well for Mikey, Um, whenever – I'm sorry, whenever – I mean, Mikey had that, he had Moffitt drive the car. He did well with Red Horse Racing last year. He had that car in the top 10, that truck in the top Mm -hmm. 10 in points whenever the money dried out. Um, He ran well whenever he would fill in in the Xfinity Series. Uh, I forget who he filled in for that got hurt a couple years ago, but he came in and won a race. Um, Brett Moffitt is a good driver. I just hope like heck that he has a chance. I think him and Scott, Scott epidelli does not suck as a crew chief. He's not his brother. But he's not bad, and he's found ways to win with a lot of different drivers. And I really like the idea of Brett Moffat having a good, solid ride with a Torrey Motorsports. The other one that uh, was announced uh, over the last day or so is Myatt Snyder driving for Thor Sport in the number 13 this year.
0: Yeah, that's going to be an interesting ride this year uh, for him. I mean, they're going to go back to four teams. Which I'm kind of surprised that you know I felt like when they had four teams they felt a little bit um, you know overextended maybe I guess is the word I'm looking for as far as uh, Thor Sports concerned with four trucks but you know they they, they've got they're changing a lot of their trucks over to the Ford body they got some some um, some trucks from Brad Keselowski Racing they're going to use the Elmore engine all that has probably gives them a little bit more financial backing uh, financial. You know, uh, more comfortable financial situation than what they've had previous. So, this allows them to go after a guy, a young kid like Myatt Snyder, who certainly brings some funding over. But um, I was just a little surprised with the four trucks.
1: Yeah, I think so too. But I also, especially with um, changing all the bodies over from Toyota to Ford that they got to do before Daytona, I really think they probably got some trucks from Brad Keslowski. To help make that go faster. I think one of the things that's interesting is you looked at the all the drivers developed coming through Toyota and all the drivers that I mean how many people drove that 51 truck last year you had uh, Harrison Burton, Myatt Snyder, uh, Todd Gill and and Myatt Snyder is probably going to be the one that was going to be shuffled out. And Ford keeps saying, we need to start developing other drivers. Maybe this is Ford's way of saying, okay, we're going to develop this kid, and we're going to keep him as one of our own. Because you look at the Ford camp when it comes to drivers. Take out Penske, because you've got Brad, Joey, and um, Blaney, who are all 30, 31 or younger. Uh, You've got Bubba at Richard Petty Motorsports. You've got uh, Stenhouse in – Trevor Bain, Bain at um, Roush and they're, I mean, you've pretty much got a lot of young drivers in Ford, except for Stuart Haas. Everybody in Stuart Haas is 30 plus and they got to start developing the next batch. Who's going to fill in when Harvick decides to hang it up. When Clint Boyer decides to hang it up, when Kurt Busch decides to hang it up and plus who knows how long Trevor Bain's going to last. I mean, he's bringing Advocare a sponsorship, but he hasn't really lit the world on fire and who knows how much, uh, Richard Petty Motorsports is going to stay, I mean, as Bubba is going to have a chance to prove himself this year, but they're in a whole hell of a lot of sponsorship over there with that 43 car. So Ford's finally starting to get into the game. It's like, okay, we got to develop some young
0: drivers. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, and and they've lost Bubba now. You know, they've lost uh, Richard Petty Motorsports going over to Chevrolet with the right. Camaro, and you know, so they really need to start um, producing young drivers for sure, Ford, and Mike Snyder is going to have an opportunity to do that. Um, you know, he ran eight races last year for Kyle Busch Motorsports, had a top five and three top tens. Uh, you know, this is going to be an opportunity for him to get his feet underneath him, go to every single racetrack in the truck series that they go to, um, and, and pretty decent equipment. You know, Matt Crafton's a championship contender every season. Ben Rhodes is, has really grown here as a driver in the last couple of years. Um, you know, and Grant Enfinger's is a really good driver. So um, he's going to have some really good teammates. He's going to have really good stuff. Uh, this is an opportunity for him to prove himself and get the experience that he needs, you know, and, and it could be a situation where he struggles in the first half of the year and we see him blossom and, and improve in the second part of the year. Um, so it's going to be, I'm going to be curious to see how his season goes because uh, eight races last year, like I said, it was, um you know, he was, he was hit or miss. He had three top 10 finishes, you know, uh, but had two DNFs as well. And um, so, it's gonna be interesting to see what kind of year he has.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's gonna be one of those ones where it almost seems like ThorSport is in turmoil. Unfo- I mean, not really the turmoil that you want to be as good turmoil. I and mean, you look last year, they still were behind the eight ball because they were rebuilding from the fire the year before. Now this year, they're switching everything from Toyota to Ford, and if you read the piece at Motorsport dot Clint Boyer and Kevin Harvick both throughout the year and even Kurt Bush over the past couple weeks said about how tough it was on Stewart Haas Racing switching from Chevy to Ford between November and the Daytona 500. Thor Sport announced they were going to Ford until January and they're going to try to turn four trucks over from uh, Toyota to Ford in just over a month. So I think it's going to be a struggle for Thor Sport to be able to do that. I think Getting My Snyder into thirteen, getting more money coming in, probably a little more backing from Ford than they were getting with Toyota because Toyota sinks everything into Cowbush Motorsports and Thorsport probably was like, Okay, we'll take the crumbs, but now Ford's saying, Hey, we need a Ford team in um the truck series, it's gonna do something. They backed up the Brinks truck as much as they do to a truck series team and said, Here you go, Thorsport, here you go. This will help you out. I think um It'll be interesting to see. I think ThorSport's going to struggle the first half of the year, and Maid Snyder's got to make sure he's not planting him into the wall. He's got to run the laps. He's got to make sure he does what he needs to to finish races because you can't win if you don't finish.
0: That's right. You must first finish to finish first. I think it was Dick Trickle who coined that. Um, you got a prediction, John, for the Daytona 500 poll this week? I know qualifying. I know it's probably one of the most uh, – you know, interesting to say the least. <laughs> Trying to be as nice as I possibly can about it. Interesting things uh, that we see during speed weeks. But do you have a prediction? Who might sit on the pole? Do you think that Chevy Camaro is going to be really fast?
1: Well, let's let's put it this way. Uh, Chase Elliott has been to Daytona for the 500 twice. Chase Elliott's found a way to win the pole twice. Um, it's just a matter of who's able, who's foot's able to go to the floor further. I mean. I'd rather watch Lee and Virginia deal with D.C. traffic than watch uh, qualifying. But, I mean, until somebody knocks him off the pole, I'll probably go with Chase Elliott for the pole in the 500. Now, the big question, who do you have for the advanced auto parts clash? I'll tell you, um,
0: and this is going to be kind of an off-the-wall pick because uh, I don't think a lot of people are going to pick him. But I, I just think the way Stenhouse ran on those, on those super speedways last year, he's going to be an underdog. And, and it's crazy to think he's an underdog because he won two uh, super speedways last year. But you know, you, when you think of the Clash and you think of the first event of Speedweeks, usually think of the big names: Logano, Kozlowski, uh, Harvick, um, you know, Chase Elliott. Those guys. You know, for some reason, Stenhouse with Rash Fenway, he's not in that category just yet. But he's going to be a guy to keep an eye on. I think he's going to be really, really fast. Um, so I, I'm going to go Ricky Stenhouse Jr. for the clash. Who do you I got? Think
1: with Sten- I think with Stenhouse, whenever he ran the and won the race, uh, the, the 400 in the Talladega race, I think um, he, didn't, he was one of those that you didn't get anything to him until about the second half of the race. I think this race is too quick for Stenhouse to make his way to the front. I don't think he's going to have the speed to qualify toward the front. They'll have to make a gamble or something on pit road to get up there, or make sure half the field wrecks out. The guy I'm picking is Ryan Blaney. I think Blaney. Um, I, I just really like the kid. I think he's a solid driver, and now that he's back at Penske, where Roger wants him to be, I think Ryan Blaney knows how to get the car around. He knows how to stay out of trouble. I mean, you look, he was leading the Daytona 500 partially on the last lap, but then again, half the field did that was left because everybody ran out of gas. But Blaney was there, and I think Blaney will be there on Sunday afternoon and win the clash. Interesting. He's
0: in a great ride, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, that that would be a way to kick off his 2018 season with a brand-new ride at Team Penske, um, and it'd be a big win for his career in, in and a huge um, you know, momentum gain as they get ready for the Daytona five hundred. Um, you know, and, and that's what I, I think I admire I like the most about the uh, clash is it just kinda gives teams momentum. It, it's kind of a preview to what we're gonna see for the Daytona five hundred. Um so it it's interesting we both went with Fords. I think it's very interesting because um, you know, there's a lot Chevrolet's got a new body, a little bit sleeker, they they at least think than what the SS was last year with the Camaro. Um so very, very – it's going to be I, – I, I'm just excited to see all the new changes, um, how that Camaro – I think we talked about it earlier in, in the shows earlier, how that Camaro is going to run. Um, I think it's one of the most interesting storylines heading into the 2018 season is that Camaro at Chevrolet. You know, Obviously, Daytona might not make that much of a difference because of the draft, but when we get to Atlanta, when we get to Vegas and on down the line, uh, it's going to be very interesting. But um, will it be faster? Will it show its head at Daytona? We'll have to wait and see. Toyota's got good speed, but we both went with Robert Yates, excuse me, Doug Yates' horsepower, uh, which is, it's incredible. It's been a staple, that horsepower. Those engines have been staples on these super speedway races forever, um, it seems like, and yet we're picking two guys who have uh, Yates' horsepower underneath them
1: again. Well, all four uh, restrictor plate races last year were won by Fords. Kurt Busch won the 500 because – Ricky Stenhouse won the 400 and the first Talladega race. So until someone knocks off a Ford, I'm going with Ford because it's horsepower that matters on the super speedway races. Whenever we get to Atlanta, whole different ball game, whole different setup, because now you're talking aerodynamics and handling and how it's also, horsepower, and until somebody shows they can be the Doug Gates engine, I'm not going any different. Yeah, me neither. It's going to be interesting to see. I, I, Chase, by the way, and you
0: mentioned it earlier, uh, will be trying to make his... Chase Elliott will be trying to make his um, third consecutive Daytona 500 pole. He um, will be the first driver to try and do that and since Ken Schrader did it back, I believe it was 88, 89, and 90 when Schrader sat on the pole. For three straight Daytona 500s, um, you know that's another storyline. You know, there's a lot of storylines headed into Daytona, John, and that's certainly one of them. Is can is will Chase Elliott uh, be the first driver to sit on the pole for three consecutive Daytona 500s since Kenny Schrader? There's One, one
1: story I want to touch on: um, making the playoffs since he started it. One thing, there are two things that have been consistent. things
0: have
3: been we yeah, have a audio. has
1: made the calls, and Ron Malik is the crew chief. Mm-hmm. Ron Malik is not going on the road this year. Ron Malik is going to be, he's almost doing like the Tony Gibbs split, making sure all four cars are ready before they, just before they go into the truck to go for the track. How much do you? Is to be the in
0: 40 well, that's going to be interesting. I think your question was how, what difference will a 48 be this year with Ron Malik as the car chief? And, um, you know, I, the other interesting part, not to get off track here that I read yesterday, by the way, um, and it, it it'll all tie in here in the end. But Hendrick Motorsports, they've made some changes internally there. Uh, you know, we, we're so used to the forty eight and twenty four being in the same shop and forever it was the five and the twenty five in the same shop. Now all they're all gonna be housed in sort of the same quote unquote shop. They're gonna do what every other team does and have four cars in one shop. Um and I think Malik's gonna be the guy who oversees all four race cars at Hendrick Motorsports. So, um, I'm not sure how Chad Kinnaus feels about that because I know Chad likes a lot of um you know I hey if my guy, the guy that I've trained and the guy that I've um, you know, relied on and, and been my, my number one guy, he's gonna be helping out all the Hendrick Motorsports teams. I'd sit down and I go, Ugh, I need that help. But Hendrick Motorsports is very, very deep. They got a lot of great people there. I think it's gonna be a minimal change at best. But um I'm curious to see if we'll see more consistency out of four teams, John, with all four teams being housed in the same shop now, uh, opposed to the two and two we used to see at Hendrick Motorsports.
1: I think with the way Hendrick is five and under. Um to the three. I think he's twenty five, maybe six. I think they need all four teams around each other. He has decided this year he's going to live in Charlotte he's uh, Last year, he had a family in Aspen, Colorado. He for the team meetings, but he would live in Aspen, until school was out with his daughters. He's in town all these because he figures, I need to be a leader for this because tell you, it's team Buc- He's at a and, um, I need to be the guy they can be able to lead on. Yeah. Having a warning th- can make magic the car, I think it's a smart move.
0: Yeah, it's going to be uh, – and, and uh, you know, you just wonder kind of what prompted I mean, um, you know, did they look at it and they say it's kind of an old-school way, you know? But, I mean, this is – you know, and I always look at – and I've s- said this a thousand times before, and you agreed with this, John. I've always looked at that 48 team as sort of the New England Patriots of NASCAR. They kind of do things where you sit there and you go – Huh? And it always turns out to be something magical, something great where you sit there and go, uh, hey, I can't believe that worked out for him, kind of thing. So it's, you know, I'm never, and I I always say when people question Bill Belichick of the Patriots, I always say, what do you question him for? The guy's won five Super Bowls. He's great, he's a genius. What do you question? I feel like that's the same way with Rick Hendrick. Who am I to question Rick Hendrick and that and, and that uh, that team who have thirteen championships and sort of a stranglehold on NASCAR? Who am I to question their moves? I'm just curious as to the mentality and the idea behind making all four teams sort of the, out of the same shop because it was, you know, such a a a known fact that they've been with a, a two and two shop for so long. I'm just curious to to see what the, what the deal is behind that whole thing. I,
1: I think th- some of it's performance that came out of the teams before. I also think that trying to be able to get them all into one and have the other three teams learn from uh, Jimmy Johnson and Chad Knauss. Um The one thing is though, as you said, um you never – very few people – there's a lot of people who question Bill Belichick, and you look at the results. I'll tell you, I'm a diehard New England Patriots fan. I love Bill Belichick, and I'm questioning the hell of the Super Bowl of why Malcolm Butler sat there on the side of the road. <laughs> um, I think that's one of the things. You look at last year, Jimmy Johnson and Chad Knaus tried some stuff, and nothing wound up working. So maybe it's one of those things that Alan Gustafson and Chase Elliott – pulled off some stuff that Jimmy Johnson wasn't able to. I mean, Jimmy won three races, but the most competitive and consistent car in that Hendrick Motorsports shop was the 24, Mm -hmm. which will be the nine this year. But I think maybe it's one of those ones where they're trying to make sure everybody's on the same sheet of music, and there might be something that Chad's missing that Alan has found out, and there might be something Alan's found out that Chad's missing. And having them all together, I mean, yeah, they have the computers, they can share notes and everything, but I think having them all together and putting that mind melt on a daily basis instead of just in the weekly competition meetings will make it a more uh unified and give the chance for the young bucks a chance to grow.
0: Yeah, it's going to be going to be really really um you know and and it's a small change. I don't think we're going to see much of a change, you know, consistency-wise. Uh you might you're right. I think um for the most part I think a lot of people always kind of looked at that 5 and 25 Shop as kind of, sort of going, yeah. They weren't, you know, they weren't great. But when they moved to the 88 to the 48 shop, you know, it seemed like the 88 picked up performance for sure. um You know, and that was sort of the reason why. Why Steve, I, I think it more had to do with Steve Letarte than moving to a different shop. um You know, and maybe this is the beginning of of the future uh for Hendrick Motorsports. Where, you know, maybe Chad Knaus is sitting there going, if you're gonna do it, do it now. I got one or two years left in me and uh let's do it let's get everything established uh get these cars and I'll come off the road too in a little bit here um i just found it interesting maybe they didn't have the right guy to do it um you know maybe they never had that guy that they felt like could could oversee four race cars um at one time and make them work and now ron malik who's off the road who's a G, who's you know like i said is uh the josh mcdaniels of chad kennels uh has an opportunity here um to really show his wings and, and, and put his input in all, all four race cars.
1: I think it's going to be an interesting season. Um, we're 10 days away from the Daytona 500 We're nine days away from the, uh, Xfinity series rate series getting started. And we are what three days, four days away from the advanced auto parts clash. So we're about ready mm-hmm. to start, uh, firing up engines and getting excited about where the season goes. I I tell you, I
0: am excited. I'm glad we've had some interviews here recently. And and I thank Gus Dean again for coming on the show. He was great. Also, Stephen Light, uh, he was phenomenal as well. You know, we've had some interviews. Uh, You can just hear it in the drivers' voices that we've talked to over the last couple of days. Uh, Even Max Tolman, they're ready. I mean, they are ready. They're sitting there. You know, Daytona is, especially for, for the ARCA drivers, Daytona is right there. I mean, um, the ARCA teams are in Daytona right now. You know, they went through inspection uh, today. And, you know, tomorrow they're going to be on track practicing. You know, and as I said, the Cup teams are on their way down there with the Cup cars. Um, so I know Richard Petty Motorsports just loaded up their, their hauler about an hour ago, and they're on their way to Daytona right now. So it's here. I'm excited that I I, you, know, you can just feel that energy, I'm sure, in Daytona Beach, Florida right now. It's it's calm, it's the calm before a storm,
1: but you can feel that energy coming from these drivers and these teams. We're excited about it. Clayton, it's been a pleasure. Um, Clayton and I will be back Sunday night at ten o'clock. We're gonna look over the we'll go over the advanced auto parts clash. We'll talk about the one hundred fifties coming up a little bit, but we have Wednesday show for that. Join us Sunday night at ten o'clock for talking circles. Good night, everybody. Good night.